I'd like to pray before we get going, if you don't mind. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for another beautiful morning. Thank you for the privilege we have of being here at K2 this morning. Thanks for the privilege of fellowshipping with each other. And thanks for the awesome privileges to, to hear from your word. And Father, I pray that that is, in fact, what would happen this morning, that we would hear from you, um, your thoughts, your heart, not my words, um, and that we would get a better understanding of, of what you had in mind with love, how you love us and how you would like us to love others. Let's commit this morning to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, like, uh, like Brad said, we're in the last week of our series, Everything You Need. And for the last several weeks, we've been talking about things that Peter tells us in Second Peter chapter 1 to add to our faith so that we can truly engage with God in a way that He wants us to engage with Him, that we can truly have the fullness of the life that He wants for us and with us. And so we've been going through, through a list of things that Peter tells us to add to our faith. We talked about adding goodness to our faith. We talked about adding knowledge of God to our faith. Talked about adding self-control um, to our faith. Perseverance, adding godliness. And then last week we talked about adding brotherly kindness to each other. Um, and today we're in, that, in the last uh, series, this last Sunday in the series where he calls us to add love to our faith. And it's different from what we talked about last week. Last week we talked about brotherly love, phileo love, love for us, as, for each other as, as fellow followers of Jesus. But today we're going to talk about the love, a agape love, it's called in Greek, that goes beyond that. You know, sometimes it's, it's easy to love your own, isn't it? It's sometimes a lot harder to love people outside of your circle, of comfort, of, out of your circle of, of friends and family. When I look at this list of things we're to add, I don't, I don't think, I don't see a, national, a, a, a progression or a certain priority or order in these until we come to this last one. I'm convinced that, that Peter saved love until the end because love throughout Scripture is, is described and we're told that it is the greatest of all the things that we are to, to have in our, in our lives. And I think Peter saved it till the end because... All the other things, we can add goodness and knowledge and self-control and we can try to persevere and be godly and, and love our brothers. But if we don't have love for the people around us, all of these become meaningless. There's multiple words in the Greek to describe different aspects of love. We're a little limited in that in, in English. We have one word love and it covers, covers every kind of love, really. And for most of us guys, it means one thing and one thing only. But there's more to that. Thank you. Um, here's, a, here's a list of things I love. All right? I love my wife. Honey, I love you. It doesn't always feel like that. I know. We'll talk about that. I love you. I love my wife. I love my children. And I love K2. I love being at K2. I love our home. I love living in Sugar House. I love my iPhone. Oh, I love my iPhone. I love college football. And I particularly love the South Carolina Gamecocks. Yes, love hurts. 
But I love them. And I love cheddar and sour cream ruffles. <laughs> Anyone with me on that? Yeah, amen. So the word love just covered pretty much everything from my wife to cheddar and sour cream ruffles. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Now, they, I, I will tell you, there's a difference in my love for cheddar and sour cream ruffles and the love for my wife, although I like to devour both at times. But, but um, there, there is a distinct love in how I, difference in how I love my wife and how I love chips. And, and see, the word that we talk about today, the word agape, is not the way I love ruffles. Agape is talking about a sacrificial love, a selfless love, a love that gives of self. And, you know, I love ruffles, and I do sacrifice when I eat them a lot. I sacrifice my looks and my size and so on. But, but this is not what agape love and sacrifice and selflessness is talking about. And you heard the song. You heard Bono Yoder here this morning, the new U2 song. Was that awesome or what? Magnificent. He talked about love being magnificent. And there were two lines that I picked up on. It says, love leaves a mark. Doesn't it? Love leaves a mark, positive marks. But love, he's saying, also leaves scars. Love is incredibly powerful, a powerful emotion that can take us to the highest heights and can totally tear us apart and throw us into the deepest pits. And love, I think this is... There's, there can't really be any discussion about this. Love is, is the number one theme of songs we sing and hear, movies we watch, poems and books we read and enjoy. Love has moved people throughout all ages and has occupied people of all, it's throughout all history. One ancient Greek philosopher, Sophocles, says this, one word frees us of all the weight and pain in life. That word is love. And Elizabeth Browning says, love doesn't make the world go round. Love is what makes the ride worthwhile. And then there's a great song by the Beatles. I think you all know it. It's a song, All You Need Is Love. Let's hit it. Come on, I want you to sing this with me. All right? Come on. Come on. All you need is love. Come on. All you need is love. Love. All that. All right. And now in German. Now. All right. Great song. We all know it. I love it. All you need is love. And you know what? The Beatles were right. All you need is love. That's biblical. I doubt that the, <laughs> that the Beatles had that in mind. But the scripture is very clear. It said all we need is love. It's not the love probably that the Beatles had in mind. All the love we need is God's love. And we're going to talk about that this morning because love is not just the number one theme through songs and movies and books you might read or soap operas you might watch. Um, love is the number one topic of this book that we open every Sunday morning, the book that we, that we preach from every Sunday morning. And I want to look at a couple of, of different Bible verses that talk about the importance of love in our lives apart from the Second Peter passage. If you want to open it up, we'll have it on the screen. It's in Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14. It says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved by Him, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, 
gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And here comes verse 14. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So this verse starts out by addressing us as being loved by God. We are loved dearly by God. And then it talks about all these, these character traits that, that we should display in our life. Uh, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness. But then more than any of these, and aren't these great qualities? Wouldn't you want to be known as somebody that is compassionate and kind and humble and gentle and patient and forgiving? Those are all great qualities. I hope, I pray that people see these in my life. But then Paul goes on and says, over all of these, more important than these, put on love because it binds them all together in perfect unity. So what, what Paul's doing is he's elevating love over all these great character traits because love holds them together. Love hold, holds us together. It leads to our unity and to our harmony. Love, what he's saying here, is central to our living with each other. Absolutely central to life with each other. Another verse I want to look at you, uh, look at with you is 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. And I'm pretty sure Andy mentioned this last week, but I want to take a quick peek at that again. It says this, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. So what Paul is doing here is he's elevating love over any other spiritual gift that you might have that God might have put in your life. He's comparing exercising spiritual gifts without love to the, the annoying, repeating sound of, of banging a cymbal. If, if you have little kids or you've had little kids, they've probably had some noisy toys in their life, haven't they? My brother Tobias, my younger brother, had a genuine gift <laughs> of giving our kids things for their birthdays that made unbelievable noise constantly. And I remember them just running around the house, just banging on things, and it just drove you crazy. It says, stop it! Stop it! And that's what God wants to say when we exercise spiritual gifts without the guidance and of love in them. That's what God wants to say. Stop it! Stop it! That, that's really annoying if... If love isn't in this, isn't part of this. See, what Paul is saying here is love isn't not, not, is not just essential to our living with each other. It's essential and central to our living with Jesus and in our walk with God. When Jesus was asked one time in the, in, in the New Testament by, by the religious re leaders of the time who were constantly out to, to get him and trap him, to, to say something that they could use against him later. And one time, in an attempt to do that, they asked him, okay, Rabbi, tell us, what is the greatest command? Basically, what they're saying is, if you had to sum up everything God has communicated to us, what's the most important thing? And they were hoping he would say something that they could later use against him. And he said this, 
said, the greatest command is this, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And that you love your neighbor as yourself. So when Jesus was asked to summarize the message of God to, the, to, to us, what's the most important thing? He said, the most important thing is that you love God and that you love others. Love is central to everything the Bible tells us. Love is central to all God wants to communicate to you and to me. Love is central, in fact, to God himself. 1 John 4.8 says these three words. It says, God is love. God is defined by love. And he wants us to receive his love. And he wants our love in return. See, he wants nothing more than for you to know that he loves you. And he's gone to the fullest extent to show you his love by what his son did on the cross for us. That's how much he loved you and loves you. And all he wants is your love in return. He wants your love in return more than anything you could say, anything you could do for him. He wants it more than than your attendance here on Sunday morning and he wants it more than, than anything you, you have, any of your belongings. He wants your love in return. And let me say this very clearly and hear this very clearly. We cannot love God ever, 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 Never, never, ever. You get that? We cannot love God ever, ever, ever without loving others. They cannot be separated. Scripture is very clear about that. You cannot love God without loving others. But we also cannot love others the way the Bible tells us to without having experienced God's love first. So if love is so central, love preoccupies us, it, it, it's central to scripture, it's central to God himself. If, if love is so important, why is it so hard to love certain people? And I know you're thinking of somebody right now, hope it's not me. Why is it so hard to love certain people? My friend Trinity uh, Jordan, he surpassed at Elevation. He spoke here a few weeks ago in the Red Box. He told me about a book he read called Human Universals. Really interesting. It's a book that talks about 300 things that you and I have in common with each other, but you and I have in common with every human being that ever walked on this planet. No matter what nationality, what culture, what part of the earth, what language they grew up in, there are certain things that we all have in common. And here are the top four. Very, very interesting. The top four things we have in common with every human being that lives and has ever lived. The first one is a natural love for family members. Now, some of you go, <laughs> I don't think so. Well, this is talking about functional family and the tendency that we have in a functional family to, to naturally love each other, care for each other, have affection for each other. That's universal anywhere in the world. The second and third one are really funny. The second one is jokes. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? Every, every human being has, has jokes in common. Some are better than others. My, mine usually aren't very good, but you laugh anyway. I appreciate that. The third one is tickling. Yes, tickling. 
People tickle in every culture, especially in my household. Ask my kids. It's my preferred method of waking them up. Tickling is universal. It's kind of cool. But here's the number four. Four is universally we have in common a fear of outsiders, a fear of people that are different from us, a fear of people that don't belong to our comfort zone, to our circle of trust. And it's those first and the fourth one that I want to focus on, the love for family members and the fear of outsiders. Now, we know that sometimes it's, it's harder to love family members than outsiders because we've made ourselves so vulnerable to family members. There's so much potential for, for hurt and pain there, and maybe that, that has taken place in your life. But again, in, in functional family settings, there's a natural love for each other and a care for each other. But we all, we all naturally fear outsiders. We all have a fear of people and have a hard time loving people that are not like us, people that believe differently than we do, people that look or dress differently than we do, people who live differently than we do, people who value different things than we do, and people who vote differently than we do. It can be hard, can't it, to love those people? And Jesus gave us a great, great example of how to love people that are very, very different from us. Actually, his whole life was about that. But there's one story in particular that I want to tell you this morning. It's from Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to tell you the story. You can read it later. It's a story of a guy called Zacchaeus. Now, if you've grown up in church and you've gone maybe to Sunday school and so on, and you've heard the story of Zacchaeus, you learned a song. Who learns a song about Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up on a sycamore tree. And I don't know how it goes. Because the Lord he wanted to see. Okay, so Zacchaeus was a tax collector during the time of Jesus. Now, tax collectors were not, were not very loved by the people in their culture, by the Jews. Tax collectors were, were Jews who worked for the occupational forces, who worked for Rome and collected taxes from their fellow Jews to pass them on to, to the hated um, occupation force of Rome. And often what they did, and this was true in, in Zacchaeus' life, they would cheat people. They would overcharge. They would keep the majority for them and only give to Rome what they demanded. He was, when I said he wasn't loved, that was an understatement. He was despised by his own people. He was a social outcast, unlovable. Not somebody you would hang around with. Not somebody you would want to be with socially. Really, really hard to love. The other thing about him is he was really short. He was probably slightly taller than Mark DiMeglio here. Um, <laughs> maybe a little shorter than that. But Zacchaeus lived in Jericho, a great city in Israel during the time, and he heard that Jesus was coming to town. Now, one thing we need to realize, Jesus, in his time in Israel, was a super celebrity, as celebrity as they get. Now, they didn't have the media to hype it up like we can today. But when Jesus would show up in a town, people would, would come to the streets and line the streets and wait to meet him, maybe touch him, talk to him. And it's like a, like a parade almost. And so Jesus comes to Jerusalem and the people crowd in. And Zacchaeus truly wants to meet Jesus. He wants to at least see him, at least catch a glimpse of him, maybe touch him. But he, he, just, he wants to see him. And so here's this wee little man, and he's trying to get there. And people know him. He's the tax collector of Jericho, and they don't even give him the thought of day. Shove him aside. He's trying to make his way to the front of the street, and he can't. 
So he climbs on the sycamore tree, a grown, well, not grown very tall, but a, an adult man climbing up a tree like a groupie to just catch a glimpse of Jesus. And so Jesus comes to town with his disciples, and there were important people, I'm sure, that waited for him, the, the, the righteous teachers of the law that would want to meet with Jesus. And Jesus walks down, sees the people, and all of a sudden he stops. And he looks up in the tree and he sees Zacchaeus. And then he whips out his iPhone and checks his calendar and says, you know, I'd love to put a, I got more important people to see and places to go. So, no, nah, he, he could have done that. He, he had a busy agenda. He had people that needed and wanted to see him. But Jesus took the time and he says, Zacchaeus, you know what? I'm, I'm here to see you. I'm going to come to your house and I'm going to have supper with you tonight. See, Jesus had a unique gift to love the unlovable. And what Jesus did here in, in loving him is he, he set aside whatever agenda he had or others had for him and he took the time and honored Zacchaeus, the man that nobody else would even give the time of day. A man that people would avoid and, and go out of their way to not have anything to do with. Jesus says, I'm going with you today. Jesus sacrificed his time and agenda to be with Zacchaeus here. And that's hard to do, isn't it? I, mean, I find myself so often doing, doing things, you know, even being busy preparing a sermon and somebody else needs something and I'm so quick to say, I don't have time for that. I've got to preach God's word, but I don't have time to love on you. It, it's so easy to get caught up in that, isn't it? It is a sacrifice, especially in our busy times today. We're booked, aren't we? I'm booked. Jesus was busy. But he showed Zacchaeus love by taking time and sacrificing of his time. The second thing Jesus sacrificed for Zacchaeus in this instant is he sacrificed superficiality. It would have been really easy for Jesus to, you know, give him a touch. I think that would have made Zacchaeus' day or week or year if he would have had an opportunity to maybe touch Jesus for a second. But Jesus didn't just throw him a bone and say, here, no, he... he went deeper than that. He said, Zacchaeus, I want to know you. I want to zero in with you. You're right now the most important person I could be with. And he sacrificed that quick, superficial brush for a deeper time, a deeper time of seeking a relationship and really showing Zacchaeus that he was loved by God. He sacrificed superficiality. And here's the third one that I'm, I really want to zero in a little this morning. One thing Jesus sacrificed here is he sacrificed his comfort. See, Zacchaeus was as different from Jesus as you could have been. Zacchaeus had a very different lifestyle from Jesus, lived a very different life. Zacchaeus had a very different value system than Jesus had. Very different value system. Zacchaeus had a very different social circle that he would hang out with. People wouldn't hang out with. He hung out with the people that nobody wanted to be with. So Jesus really went out of what, what I would think would be his comfort zone of people like him, people that, that wanted to be with him and learn from him. He went out of his comfort zone to spend time with somebody that was very, very different from him. Lived different, believed different, and spent time with him. Another example of Jesus doing that is, is him meeting. It's a story in John chapter 3 meeting with a woman, a Samaritan woman at a well. 
The Samaritans were even more hated than the tax collectors. They, Samaria was right smack middle in Israel. And when people traveled south to north, they had to go a day's trip out of their way to avoid Samaria. And Jews would do that. They hated the Samaritans. Jesus went there and met with a woman who had been divorced five times, which was totally unacceptable in the culture, and spent time with her. Somebody completely outside his lifestyle, his belief system, his value system. And he spent time to show her God's love. Another time we find him actually sitting and eating with sinners and prostitutes. And again, the religious leaders of the time say, how can you do that? And he said, they need me. Jesus spent time with these people all through the Bible. Jesus didn't compromise his convictions. But he didn't let his convictions get in the way of loving of people that didn't necessarily share his convictions, you see. And it changed their lives. We see Zacchaeus in the end of that encounter in, chapter, in verse 10. That he went, after his, his time with Jesus, being loved on by Jesus, he went out and, and said, I'm going to pay back everything I took from people four times fold. I'm going to make it right. It changed his life. Experiencing Jesus' love changed his life. So what about us? Who is our Zacchaeus? Who are the people that are so out of our comfort zone, that are so different from us, that we have such a hard time sacrificing for and loving and and showing God's love to? What about people of different faiths? And we're going to go places here this morning that might hurt a little, that go a little deeper than skin deep and But I think God wants us to go to those places sometimes. Let me ask you a question and just think of your first gut reaction. How do you feel about Muslims? Do you feel love coming up? What's what's your first reaction? You know, we see Paul in the New Testament interact with people of of other faiths. Now, let me me say one thing. I'm not talking about compromising. I'm not talking about not standing by your convictions. What I'm talking about is not letting those get in the way of, of loving people. Paul interacted in, in Acts, we see it, with people in Athens, people who lived in multiple deities, very different from what Paul believed in. But we see him engaging in a very loving way. He actually quotes their own writers and poets and lets them know, I care about what you think. I care about what you believe in. Here, here's what I believe. He loved, he showed respect and honored them. Can we do that? What about people of different moral convictions than us? That sometimes strikes fear into us, doesn't it? And doesn't often lead to to loving responses and interactions. I think we need to learn from Jesus that we need to see past people's convictions and see people as people loved by God, first and foremost. Jesus didn't let his moral convictions get in the way of loving people with different convictions. If he had, he wouldn't have sat down with Zacchaeus or with the Samaritan woman at the well or prostitutes at another occasion. What about people of other races or people that look different, dress different? What about people of different political convictions? Can you really love a Democrat or a Republican? Let me ask you a few questions. And again, these, these could hurt a little. 
Could you see, knowing what we know about Jesus, knowing how he interacted with people, could you see Jesus hating a Muslim? Could you see Jesus yelling in hatred at Temple Square at attendees at the general conference? Could you see Jesus tell a gay joke? Could you see Jesus treat people differently because they're of a different ethnicity or color? Could you see Jesus avoiding someone because they voted differently? I can't. I can't see him do that. So why do we? Why do we? We've, we've mentioned the book several times. I know I've heard us mention the book Unchristian before. It's a book that the Bonner Group, it's a group that make, does surveys. It's a Christian group that takes surveys to kind of find out what's going on out there. And for years and years, they did a survey among people who wouldn't say that they are followers of Jesus, of people who would say, yeah, I don't believe in you, Jesus. And they asked them, what is your impressions of people that say they follow Jesus? What do you see in them? What's your impression? And this is a quote. And I, I don't want to say that everybody out there thinks this, but a lot of people do. Listen to this. He said, most people I meet assume that being a Christian means very conservative, entrenched in their thinking, anti-gay, anti-choice, angry, violent, illogical empire builders, that they want to convert everyone, and they generally cannot live peacefully with anyone who doesn't believe what they believe. They generally cannot live in peace with anyone who doesn't believe what they believe. What he's saying is, I don't see love. I don't see love. I see what you're against. I don't see what you're for. I, I recognize you by what you protest against. I don't recognize you by your love. How sad is that? What do you think it would look like? Imagine what it would look like if we were to really focus on loving people instead of trying to persuade them of something. What if we truly would focus on loving people instead of judging? What if we truly focused on loving people instead of the need to be right? And that's not easy. But what would it look like? I want, to, I want you to ask yourself, who is that Zacchaeus in your life? Who's that person that puts you out of your comfort zone? Who's that person that you have such a hard time sacrificing for, that you have such a hard time just showing the faintest resemblance of love to? Who is that person? And if that person doesn't jump to mind right away, which I think for a lot of you it probably will, that's for me, would you pray about that? Today, maybe throughout the week, say, God, who is that Zacchaeus in my life? Who is that person that needs to experience, sense, touch, feel your love through me? Would you pray that this week? Jesus said this. John quotes him in chapter 13, verse 34, 35. These are the last few hours that Jesus had with his disciples where he just spilled them. He says, this is what you need to know before I go. The most important things, he says, a new command I give to you, that you love one another 
even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. May, by this all men will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. How awesome would it be if, if people out there would observe you, your, your colleagues, maybe your family member, your neighbors would say, whoa, what, what I see there is love. Man, that, that guy must be a follower of Jesus. And man, check that. That guy must be a follower of Jesus. And, and this person. What if love for other people so permeated our life that people would recognize us as followers of Jesus by that? What a novel idea, isn't it? Jesus says that is the characteristic that defines his followers. Our love. It's not a fish on our car. It's not a Jesus t-shirt. It's not a tattoo. It's love just oozing out of our lives for the people around us. So why, why do so many people have this impression of church-going Christians? Why is it? I think it was actually part of what was in, in that quote. Is that we're so focused on convincing people and converting people. Well, you know what? I think one thing we need to realize is that the job of Savior has already been taken. The job description for Savior doesn't fit you and me. It's been filled, and it's been filled by Jesus. He's the one that does the saving. Even the job of convictor of right and wrong has been taken. Ooh, and I like to take that one. I like to be on, call it Holy Spirit duty. But that job has also been taken by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the one that leads into truth, that convicts people of right and of wrong. Now, God wants to use us in that process, but if that process isn't governed by love, it is worth nothing. But the beauty of this is that the one that is the Savior, the one that is the convictor, lives in us if we are followers of Jesus. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The one that loves unconditionally, the one that goes out of his comfort zone, the one who isn't put in a box by his convictions and keeps his convictions from loving others, lives in you and me if we have received God's love and are followers of Jesus. And then Ephesians 5.2, and we'll, we'll close to wrapping this up. Ephesians 5.2 then can be true in your life and in my life. And Ephesians 5.2 says this, Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to to God. See, Jesus' love went so far that he sacrificed everything so that we could truly experience God's love and truly engage with him, which is what we were created for. And through that, let his love channel through our lives to the, peop to the lives of the people around us. So, if you have identified your Zacchaeus, Once, once you get to that point, once Jesus shows you who that Zacchaeus is, and it could be more than, more than one, would you then pray about and, and determine what are you willing to sacrifice? 
What are you willing to sacrifice so that others around you can experience God's love in their life? Are you willing to sacrifice your time? We've mentioned it, time, man, time is tough. There's only so much of it. But are you willing to sacrifice your time? Are you willing to sacrifice your money to show others God's love? Are you willing to sacrifice your comfort? Are you willing to go to the places that hurt? Are you willing to go to the people that totally put you out of your comfort zone? Are you willing to sacrifice your home, your space? What are you going to be willing to sacrifice? And make that commitment between you and God. And ask him, God, what, what is it you're asking from me in this person's life? And then step out in faith and do it. Jesus gave it all up to show us the extent of God's love. And let me say this again. Unless you have experienced and received this limitless, unending love that God has for you, unless you've experienced that and accepted that in your, in your life, it's going to be impossible to consistently love others sacrificially. So I want to, I want to ask you this morning, if you're here and, and this doesn't quite make sense and you, you haven't experienced this love that God wants to pour out in your life, I want, you to, I want to encourage you to consider that this morning. To consider accepting that love that he has for you and says, yes, I want that. And I would love to talk to you. And I'll be up here and I'd be happy to talk and pray with you and, and there'll be others. But don't let, let time pass by to, without knowing and experiencing God's love that he's given us through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And then pray about who your Zacchaeus is and what you're willing to sacrifice. Let's be a local body of believers. Let's be followers of Jesus in Salt Lake City that are recognized by their love for the people around them.